what compelled God to give his only begotten son to save sinners? Did you ever think about that? I know I have. Time and time again, I have pondered that question. And do you know that there's an answer to that question, a very clear, a very biblical answer to that question? What compelled God to give his only begotten son? And the biblical answer it was, is, it's God's love. God's love. It was God's love that compelled him. The scripture tells us in John 3.16, does it not? For God so loved the world. The scriptures tell us in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians 2.4, Paul talks about God being rich in mercy because of his great love for the elect. In Matthew, uh, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And of course, in 1 John 4.10, which is going to be part of this study, John writes, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there is a very clear answer as to what compelled God to give His only Son. What compelled Him? His love. His love. And today we're going to kind of deep dive that love even further so that we have a good, solid, biblical understanding of that love. J.I. Packard, the famous theologian, said this, To know God's love is indeed heaven on earth. And the New Testament sets for this knowledge, not as a privilege of a favored few, but as the normal part of an ordinary Christian experience. Did you hear what he said? The love of God we can experience. It's an ordinary Christian who can experience. It's not, you know favored few historical figures that were great in the church or some of the people that we read in the Bible. For all who come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, we get to, and I want you to note this word, we get to experience the love of God. Very simply put, the one whom God foreknew and chose to set his love upon are those who know God. Let me say that again. The ones who God foreknew and choose to set his love upon, these are the ones that know God. These are the ones that know God. And it is this knowledge, this depth of God's love that every believer is to experience and every believer is to know. Is to know. And I'm going to show you that today from the Scripture. As a, as a direct result of that, as a direct result, those whom, God's love, those whom God loves in response to that love, love God. Plain and simple. Those whom God loved 
in response to that love, love God. I often wonder, many, 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 many times, I often wonder if we responded to our spouses and if we responded to our parents and to our friends with the kind of love that many people respond to God, would we still be married? Would we still have friendships? It seems so often that we, we tend to trifle with the things of God. But today what I want to do is I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Let's go deeper into the context. We are still in 1 John 4, 7. And I want to take us deeper so that we have a more fuller and more profound understanding of the love of God. Why? Why do we want to do this? Because every word from the word of God should impact us. And every preacher who is worth his salt preaches for a response. The more that we understand the love of God, the deeper our love for God should become. Until the point that there's nothing that supersedes this love and devotion that we have for our God. So let's look again at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. The Word of God reads as follows. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now last week we started exploring this text. And I said there are three principles we're going to learn from this text. Number one was that God's love begins with God. And we laid that out last week. That God's love starts with God. It begins with God. The second one is God's love is defined by God. And today we're going to look at the third one, which is God's love is given by God. So these are the three principles just from 1 John 4, 7. Let's look at how we viewed some of them. In John 4, 7, we saw God's love begins with God. In John, in that same paragraph, in that same context, in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 4, John writes this, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Notice that. It didn't begin with our love first. It began with God's love. That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To satisfy the wrath, the justice of God. We saw that God's love is defined by love. And we looked at Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. And it says, then the Lord passed in front of him, speaking of Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Here again, we see that the love of God, it is defined by God. God defines that love. Very important point in this day. Very important point. The world does not define God's love. I want to say that again. The world does not define God's love. God has defined his love. And notice how he defines it. 
He says that the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Listen, if God weren't slow to anger, this world would not even exist. If God were not slow to anger, if he did not demonstrate forbearance, there would be no hope for you and me. He is slow to anger. He is abounding, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he keeps his loving kindness for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Herein is the love of God. Do you not marvel at God because you have been forgiven your trespasses and your sins? Do you not marvel at God that God has not judged you according to his righteous standard of which we would have no hope at all? So the love of God is defined by love. But today we're going to look at the third principle. God's love is given by God. But before we jump into that third principle, I want to take us back a little bit to look at what love is. Now, what kind of love is spoken about here? And this is why I say the world doesn't define God's love. God does. God does. So let's jump a little bit further into this word love, and let's examine what its real truth is. And I'm going to begin with here the word that's most commonly used of God's love in the New Testament, and it is the agape love of God. The agape love of God. In our text here in verse 7, the Apostle John makes this remarkable statement. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And every one of those instances is the Greek word agape. Agape. We see here in the first, Beloved, let us love one another. There's the verb form of the word agape, which is Agapao, right? Agapao. He says, let us love one another. For love, agapao, is from God. And we understand this love which the Apostle John speaks, right? Throughout the text, John is not referring to human love. He is not referring to human love. And we're going to draw a distinction to this. He does not refer to romantic love. He does not refer to a brotherly kind of fellowship type of love. This is a very distinct love. This is a very distinctive word that through the Holy Spirit John uses to speak of this love. Agape love really means moral preference. And specifically, contextually, it is God's moral preference. God chooses to love. God chooses to put his love. And it, in the scripture, in the New Testament, refers, refers to that divine love. That's what makes agape love different than all the other words. Now, in English, when we talk about love, there's only one word for love. And it's love, right? So whether we're talking about I love my wife, I love my mother, I love my children, I love football, I love baseball, the words are always the same, even though the applications can be very different, right? Can we agree to that? I may love my wife, but the love that I have for my friend is going to be profoundly different than the love that I have for my wife. 
I may love my mother, but the love that I have for my children may be different. I may love my children, but I may love a particular hobby, or I may love to study a particular subject, and that love is always different. So in English, we read love, and we say, okay, well, that's a universal term. It always applies. But that's not how it is in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there are different words for different types of love. And I think this is really significant. John could have used, for instance, the Greek word for love, eros. Eros is the love that we talk about when we love another person. It's a romantic love. It's the root word from where we get erotica from, right? It's a physical kind of love. Eros would be the word that we use where you say, oh, I'm falling in love with that person, or she really loves him. They would use the Greek word eros. But the problem with using eros, and we see this every day in the world, the problem with using eros is what? Is that kind of physical love can ebb and flow. It can wane. I think about when I was young, as a teenager, and my first girlfriend, and I was, boy, I thought the sun rised and set on her, right? I was so happy I was walking on clouds, right? And I thought, this is it. I got it. I got it, right? And that lasted a few months, and then all of a sudden it wasn't so nice anymore. Romantic type of love, physical attraction type of love can ebb and flow. And we see this all over our nation. People get married, people get divorced. People who were one time in love now hate the person that they're with. You know, we see this. This is true. Eros ebbs and flows and could be changed in a moment. When somebody meets somebody better, I mean, is this not what is is demonstrated in the celebrity culture. You, know, you see these people get married, and then they, you know, they leave, and then they marry somebody else, and then that marriage. I mean, look at Elizabeth Taylor. What did she get married? Like 10 times or something like that? Elizabeth Taylor, that was a movie star a very, very long ago. I know that some of us may remember that. But John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't use eros at all. Why? For it's not fitting of the love of God. God does not ebb and flow. When God loves, he loves. Period. Because it is part of his essential nature. It is one of his divine attributes. So we got to eliminate Eris. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not used to describe the love of God. The second type of love that John could have used is the Greek love phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's a, it's a general fondness. It's not bad. It's not bad. You have a fondness for somebody. I think about the scripture text when, when Jesus confronts John on the beach. And he says, John, do you love me? And Jesus uses the agape form of love. He says, John, do you agape me? Do you love me with the love of God? And John says, Lord, you know I love you. I phileo you. I have a fondness for you. I have a brotherly 
fellowship for you. I have a brotherly love for you. And the Lord says again, John, do you agape me? And John says what? He says, Lord, you know. You know I phileo you. You know I have this general fondness for you. You know that I love you in that manner. And finally, Jesus says to him, John, do you phileo me? Do you have a general fondness for me? And John says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Now, when you look at that particular text found in the Gospel of John, you think about, what, why would John say that? You know why John said it? I mean, Peter, I'm sorry. Uh, it was, he was Peter he was referring to. You know why Peter says that? Because Peter had failed the Lord. And Peter wasn't going to go out there after having his foot in his mouth so many times to stand before the resurrected Lord and say, Lord, I love you with the agape love of God. Right? And so phileo sometimes is used in the Scripture about God's love. Right? It is used, but majority of the time in the New Testament, it is the agape love. Why? Because God has more than a general fondness. God has more than a brotherly type of love toward those whom he has redeemed. He has more than that kind of love. So what has happened? The Apostle John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe the love of God uses the agape form of love. It is that moral preference. It is a love that gives and does not expect reciprocation. It is a love that is unilateral as God's love was demonstrated to us in a unilateral way. And church, there's an amazing thing that occurs with the love of God, and the amazing thing is that God calls on believers to love one another with an agape form of love. What does that mean for us? That means that we are to love each other, as Paul says, more than ourselves. That means that we are to esteem one another greater than ourselves. There's a problem with that. Because we live in a culture that says that the highest you could ever arrive is to love yourself. We are drunken with self-love, self-desire, self-esteem. That's the pinnacle, right? We got to be all that we can be. We got to go around the world, only go around once and grab all the gusto we can. We got to just do it and we got to please ourselves. And yet the Word of God would say that if we are touched by that love of God, that's what it takes to know God. 
It is to know that love of God. You know, there's a tendency sometimes with many good preachers. There's a tendency and a fear sometimes to speak about the love of God. Because we don't want to be too soft. You know, one of the amazing things I said this last week when we looked at the love of God is, you know, people say, well, isn't God love? God is not merely love. God is righteous. God is holy. God is immutable. He's unchanging. There's so many different aspects to God. And God's love fits perfectly and balanced within His being. God's love does not nullify His justice. Therefore, God can judge righteously. And by the way, God will judge righteously those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can do it. Why? Because God is indeed love, but God is indeed justice. God is love, but God is moral. God is pure. He is holy. So although God is love, he does not look down upon sinning mankind with a, a kind of grandfatherly tolerance that says, oh, that's okay. They don't know what they're doing. But God is love to such a degree, what? That he sent his only begotten son to pay the penalty for those who have sinned. And in paying the penalty, God satisfies his justice. God satisfies his righteousness. God satisfies his holiness by coming in and saving you and I and by making us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God does not violate any of his other attributes. God's love is perfect. God's love doesn't come with terms and conditions. God's love doesn't come with any kind of strings attached. When God shed his love upon us, God's love was shed upon us in spite of who we are. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, you know, God loved me so much and he looked back and he saw that if I were presented with the gospel, I would accept, so therefore God chose me. Absolutely incorrect. That would be God responding to some virtue in you. And the only virtue that we have is filthy rags. Just think that God looked down upon us just think perhaps of some of the worst things that you know you may have done before you were a Christian. Just think that God looked down and in spite of that showered and shed his love abroad in your heart to call you to himself to save you in spite of yourself, in spite of myself. That's agape love. That's the agape love of God. God choosing to love in his moral discernment, in his sovereign will. He chose and he loved in spite of our rights and in spite of our wrongs. Agape love is not motivated by something one seeks to gain. 
It's not motivated by wants or expects to be reciprocated. The love is manifested in the preference of God toward those whom he chooses to love. I think that's amazing. And we see this reflected in the fact that God came and he came to save and he came to love sinners. He came to love them and to bring them into his kingdom. He makes them joint heirs with Christ. He grants them the righteousness of God. And he casts their sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Listen to the prophet Micah describe the love of God. This is found in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. The prophet Micah writes, Who is a God like thee, who pardons iniquity, and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. What a What a phenomenal, phenomenal statement. Note that the words, he delights in unchanging love. Love, as I mentioned, is one of God's many attributes, along with his immutability, a theological term to say that God is not changing. He doesn't waver. He doesn't go back and forth. When God loves, God loves. Period. He loves. And as the prophet Micah describes here, who is a God like you? He pardons iniquity. He passes over rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in unchanging love. This is the God that loved us. This is the God that we serve. John MacArthur says this, Love according to the scripture is not a helpless sensation or desire. Rather, it is a purposeful act of self-giving. The one who genuinely loves is deliberately devoted to the one love. True love arises from the will and not from blind emotion. That's not kind of the love we hear about today, is that? People love people because sometimes people do things for those people. People love other people because sometimes other people put that person up on a pedestal or they give them something or they've served them in some kind of manner. But the love that God demonstrates to us, that love is not a helpless sensation. That love is purposeful. That love is intent. That love is poured out. The love of God is evidence and it impacts believers. It impacts believers. This love that began with God in his rich mercy and love, God pours out. He pours it out to the believer. Enabling believers to love like God. Do you believe that? We can love like God. We can morally choose to love. We can morally choose to overlook someone else's defect. We can morally choose to overlook the hurts. We can morally choose to do this. 
If we have been saved and born again through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can love like God, to have mercy on people, to have compassion, and have an agape love for people. In our text here in 1 John 4, 7, again, as I mentioned, John uses the agape form of love to articulate two points to the church. To the church. Point one, believers in the church are called to love one another sacrificially, preferring and choosing to love them. This, John says in 1 John 4, 7, this is true faith. This is what true faith looks like. Look again. Beloved, let us love one another. Agape love. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Point two that John makes in verse 7 here. And that's regarding the agape love of God. He makes this statement, everyone who loves, there's the noun form of the word agape, is born of God and knows God. And knows God. I want you to, I want you to circle that. K-N-O-W-S. Knows God. Who knows God? The one who loves. The one who loves with the agape form of love. Right? And the believer is determined to love God as he loves. And how one loves reveals one's knowledge of God. And I think about this marvelous agape love. And let me share something about the agape love of God. When you love with the agape love of God, when you set your mind to love a person or to have preference, or you say, I'm going to live my life in the love of God, let me tell you something. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes well-meaning people, sometimes other believers, will directly or indirectly kick you in the chest. Sometimes it's other people who profess the name of Jesus Christ who have come along your side for so long and say, I love you, brother, I love you, brother, I love you, brother, pat you on the back, I love you, sister, I love you, sister, who come alongside you and then one day, boom, you're dead to them. About a dime for every time that's happened to me, I'd be a millionaire by now. But did they not do that to our Lord? Was not our Lord Jesus Christ despised and rejected of men as one to whom men hid their face? Was he not esteemed? And thought little of? What did our Lord Jesus Christ feel on that great night when he was arrested? And he heard Peter betray him with cursing and blasphemies. I know not the man. What did Jesus feel? We don't know. But we do know this. That Jesus turned and looked at him. And in that moment, Peter was broken. We have to put ourselves out there. We have to take the blows, and they hurt. But I'm going to tell you something else. The agape love of God, when we're hurt, when we're devastated, when people betray us and people let us down, when the one who said, you're my man, is no longer there for us, doesn't want anything to do with you, 
The agape love of God is that healing balm of Gilead that's shed abroad into our hearts and gives us the ability to forgive and gives us the ability to forget and gives us the ability to push on with living like Christ. And this brings us to the third principle that I left out last week. Praise God. Finally getting to the end of this one, right? And that is God's love is given to the believer. And it's given to the believer by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about God's love begins with God. God's love is defined by God. And here's the last principle. God's love is given by God. And I want you to see this to turn to our text in Romans chapter 5 where we read our scripture reading. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I want to begin with verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless and at the right time, Christ died for us. And go down to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 5, I want to point out one particular term here. Paul states that the agape love of God has been, as the King James says, it has been shed abroad, poured out, but the literal meaning of that word is that the love of God has been dumped. Dumped. When I was studying this, I, I kept having the image of, of me the sinner there laying down on the ground and a dump truck coming up with the love of God. And he backs it up. And he pours this love of God out on me. And it's pouring out and it's pouring out. And it's overwhelming and it's overwhelming. The love of God has been dumped on the believer in Jesus Christ. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. How glorious. That love originates in God. And not only is it given by God, but the agape love glorifies God. It glorifies God and is manifested. It is manifested in the believer. Listen, I want to make a very important point here. I want you to get this point. God's love is not indifferent. That's, God's love is not indifferent. It's not purposeless. It's not love for the taking. God's love is not for everybody who abuse God and abuse the name of God. It's not love for the taking. Instead, God's love is particular. God's love is specific. God's love is intentional. 
and is directed to those whom he loves. Go in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see this. God had a particular love for those who would follow him. A very specific love and a very intentional love. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, note those words, in love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Does this sound like non-specific love? No. What Paul is actually saying is God had a very direct purpose. God had a very specific purpose. What was that purpose? In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons. In love, he did this. God dumped that love upon the believer. And not only did he dump that love, but God's love was very specific that the believers would be what? They would be the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. And he did this according, notice these words, according to the kind intention of his will. It's all God. All God. So what does that say to you and I if we're believers in Jesus Christ? We're not accidents. Before the foundation of the world, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. God had a very specific purpose for each and every single believer. And that purpose is that we would glorify God and while we were on this earth, that we would enjoy God and we would enjoy the presence of God and we would enjoy the fellowship of God and we would enjoy being a Christian and we would enjoy the brethren and we would enjoy the church. It was very, very, very specific, his intent. J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, that Paul did not mean a love for God. That's not what he meant. But rather, he meant a love of God. A love of God. In a personal and in an experiential way. And this love is not reserved for just a select few people. But this love is for every person who has been born again and saved through the marvelous, miraculous blood of Jesus Christ. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. I want to show you this in a little bit more detail and then we'll start wrapping up. First John 4, look at verse 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to, the, to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Paul, uh, John uses again here, when he uses that term, at the beginning, we are from God. He who knows God, I, I've talked about this, I think, a million times in church. That is the Greek word, gnosko, 
which means a personal experiential knowledge. It is not a theoretical knowledge. It is not just intellectual data. It is a personal experiential knowledge. John says here, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us and who is uh, not from God does not listen to this. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John follows that up by telling the church, we ought to love each other in this like manner. That means I have to love Ricky with the love of God. I love you, Brother Ricky, with the love of God. And I have to love Sister Susan with the love of God. And I have to love everybody in this place with the love of God if you are my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. But you know what the best part is? You need to love me that way. That was a joke. Okay, I just wanted to see if you got that. I test you every once in a while, see if you're awake. Listen, the agape love of God should be the defining characteristic of everyone who call themselves a believer in Jesus Christ. And the agape love of God should be an experience. I'll tell you what. uh, Wednesday night we have prayer meeting, right? Wednesday night we had prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I just want to tell you, and for those of you who were there, the spirit that was on that call was so sweet and so loving. And I hung up that, that Zoom call, and I said, man, the Spirit of God was, was speaking to hearts. I, I, I could hear it in the words of the people that were praying, and the adoration, and the thankfulness, the unworthiness they felt for themselves, but the overwhelming thankfulness that they were experiencing for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I think personally, you know how we pray for a genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God? We pray for the Spirit of God to descend upon us? I am telling you, it has not happened once, it has not happened twice, it has not happened three times, but on that prayer call, there is a move of God. People weep before the Lord from joy. People weep before the Lord out of thankfulness. People weep before the Lord. We seek the Lord. We go back to the Lord. We praise the Lord. We give God the glory. We give God the glory. And the Spirit of God receives that and He welcomes that. Why? Because our hearts have been touched by the agape love of God. Because we all know we're undeserving of such love and such grace. And folks, let me share something. If we are to love one another with the agape love of God, how are we to love our Savior? How are we to love our God? What should be the inclination of our heart? We're to honor the Lord. We're to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. We're not to put anything above and beyond God. We're to worship God in joy and truthfulness and excitement. We are to give God our very best. We are to give God all the glory. Oh, church, if we can learn this lesson, the Spirit of God, God will move in a mighty and a phenomenal way across this body. We think that, oh boy, you know, uh, I love God. I went to church on Sunday and we pat ourselves on the back. I, man, I feel really good. I went to church. If that's the heart, we missed the, we, we miss the mark by miles. 
But if God should love us in that manner, how can we be indifferent toward Him? That's a logical question, is it not? We are to love as Jesus loves, self-sacrificing, knowing no wrong, esteeming others as better than ourselves. This, listen, this is the bedrock truth of the gospel, is it not? They shall know you because of your love for one another. Believers can do that because the true believer has experienced that love of God. A.W. Tozer says this, this is, this is how the love of God is. He loves you not because you are worthy. I want you to get that. He loves you not because you are worthy, but because He is God, and you are a fixture in His mind. Talk about something to blow your mind. The Apostle Paul echoed a similar statement in 1 Corinthians 8. You don't have to turn there, verses 2 and 3. He says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves, there it is, the agape form. It's in the, it's in the verb form, agapao. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. Not if anyone comes to church. Not if anybody was baptized. Not if anybody said a prayer. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. Listen, we sing a hymn in this church, as is sung in many good churches, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Right? That was written by the great preacher and hymn writer Isaac Watts, and it was written in 1707. And it's inspired by Galatians 6.14, where Paul says, But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. That's what inspired that hymn. And it's believed, it is believed, that Isaac Watts penned probably the greatest hymn in the English language when he wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Listen to the last stanza. We sing this on Sundays often. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. The Apostle Paul wrote similar words to the church at Ephesus in Ephesus 3, 17, 17 through 19. He writes this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, there's the word agape, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love, agape, of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How do you get filled up to all the fullness of God? That you may know the love of Christ. So as a people of God, as a church of God, how critical is it that not only do we know of the love of God for us, but that we have a deep abiding love for God and the brothers and sisters in the church. As a community of believers, we strive to serve one another and extend that service to our neighbors. Listen, 
I pray that the Word of God challenges our heart to ask several questions. First, is the love of God in my heart? Is the love of God in my heart? Does my life reflect this truth? Second, do I love as Christ would have me love? Not my objectives, not my priorities, not my wants, but sacrificially, without self-interest, serving others. And thirdly, does my heart have a genuine love for God? God as the object. God as the desire and the things of God as His will. Those are the questions we need to ask each other. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.